Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Robbie, what's happening? Well, Jason, we had a big gathering this week, and by we, I mean uh, Republicans gathered in person, of course, for the Conservative Political Action Committee meeting, uh, which was dubbed America Uncanceled. Cancel culture and the woke mob seem to be the buzzwords of the weekend. Hello, CPAC. How are you doing? Didn't anybody tell you that you're supposed to be canceled? Ladies and gentlemen, to discuss the Bill of Rights, Liberty, and cancel culture, please welcome from the great state of Texas, Senator Ted Cruz. You can French kiss the guy next to you, yelling abolish the police, and no one will get infected. But if you go to church and say amazing grace, everyone's going to die. This gathering gave us a sense of both the present and the future of the Republican Party, Jason. Um, Governors DeSantis and Nome, I think is it, how you say it, from South Dakota, uh, won uh, the straw poll about who uh, the conservatives would pick as president in the straw poll that did not include Trump. Uh, and I think that just gives you a sense of like what Republicans think of winning messages, because those are two people who are associated with a libertarian anti-closure COVID policy, if I'm being generous. But when Trump was included in the straw poll, he won. And it wasn't just about the straw poll. He seems to be winning the ideological war over the party's ideology, meaning basically whatever he says, whether it's the election being stolen or anything else, seems to become an article of faith amongst conservatives and attendees at CPAC. Jason, what did, what did the CPAC gathering tell you about the future of the Republican Party? Uh, it's just getting smaller. I mean, this is why we also have however many hundreds of, of bills around the country that are about suppressing the vote, right? Is that they're they're focused on things that are, are frankly just like white people stuff. I mean, like that's what it is, right? It's like white, bigoted people. I'm not saying that's what all Republicans are. I'm just saying the leadership seems to be focusing on that message, which makes sense, right? Because what's going on right now? Well, let's see. Biden just announced that it's going to be two months earlier than planned, that everybody uh, is going to have access to being able to be vaccinated in the country, or at least that they're going to have enough supplies to do that. COVID relief is about to pass, which is overwhelmingly popular. So they're just going to focus on things that they focus on uh, when things seem to be you know, going better. I mean, this is what they always do, right? Like when the economy is good, the Republicans talk about social issues. They've been doing it since they were invoking family values. Now they're now it's called cancel culture. They are hilariously bringing in Dr. Seuss, which, you know, I texted uh, you and Grace uh, yesterday because I was like, look, I think 
given that it's what Fox News is covering, our listeners are going to hear about Dr. Seuss. What better way is there to say that the Democrats or that the left is out of touch than to say that they don't like Dr. Seuss, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it's a, not a horrible argument, I guess. And the thing is, like, one, it was the it's the Seuss like family. It's 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 the the people who own the intellectual property of Dr. Seuss who said, by the way, we're not going to print the, these particular books anymore because they have these racist overtones and these racist images. And then I, I was reading about Dr. Seuss and, you know, other than he, he supported Japanese internment, which is horrible, but sometimes people forget that like, so did Roosevelt, you know? So, I mean, like that's a situation where the country was just wrong. And then later he said he was wrong. Other than that, pretty much all of his politics were overwhelmingly progressive. A lot of his books later on were messages about things like racial equality uh, and, and economic equality and that kind of thing. So he was actually, for his time, a relatively progressive guy and pissed a lot of people off with a lot of his like political cartoons that were against you know McCarthyism and that kind of thing. So with that in mind, uh, I wrote a Seussism just about the fact that they are fighting for this guy who I don't think would agree with them, and, and I'm very proud of it. The good Dr. Seuss, if he were alive, would favor a wage at least of one five. Democracy he loved, not voter suppression. He wasn't about that violent insurrection. One thing is for sure, he'd know what we lacked, and that's why he'd favor a For the People Act. Anyway... I'm just really proud of that, and I wanted an excuse to read it. Kudos to you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. No, but it was great. And I think the core truth here is that Republicans think they have a winning hand on cancel culture. So I think that's probably something worthy of talking about. Uh, I'll put my cards on the table here. Anybody who, who sp talks to me outside of the pod knows that I actually have strong feelings that there is a such thing as a cancel culture uh, on the left and that it is problematic. Um, it comes from a little bit of my philosophy in life in general. One of the reasons why I start started uh, Second Chance Studios, for instance, which is a nonprofit that helps formerly incarcerated people. And one of the reasons why I became an educator is because I believe in second chances, whether it's an act that you commit or something that you say. I'm a believer that if you learn from mistakes, there are most mistakes can be overcome with time. Uh, and so in general, like the concept of canceling people disturbs me. And I think there's, a, is, there's some bad trends, but I really don't think that the people at CPAC are the right people to be lecturing us on this. Never mind that they canceled one of their own speakers for their views, which is something that, you know, any conference should do. They, not to Wait, mention- who, who did they, I didn't know about that. There was this, they... um, I think it was a, a musician who had anti-Semitic past, which it seems like they have selective- enforcement against anti-Semitism, but not, not to mention that their standard bearer, which we'll get to, the president, the former president, Trump, literally advocated for canceling Liz Cheney and every other Republican who uh, voted to impeach him on stage and uh, supported the censure mechanism, the censure efforts that have been happening all over the country against conservative Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. That is literal cancellation. Or never mind the fact that Senate, you know, across the country, Republicans are voting to restrict speech uh, of all kinds of people. You know, notably last week, the Tennessee Senate legislators unanimously supported a letter to their public university system instructing their public university system to punish athletes who kneeled during the national anthem. So this is this is a party and a group of people who love to cancel people who disagree with them. 
although I do, I am concerned about this. This is something I, I think is an important debate as an issue, cancel culture. They have no legs to stand on in this, in my opinion. Yeah, I think when people bring this up to you, my reaction would be like, I, I think you are free to have whatever position you want on cancel culture. Um, you know, I, I think I, I share your view, Ravi, like there, I, I do, I have reservations about it, just like you do. And I also think that it has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> like, like, that's the thing, like, they're, they're upset about, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss's own, like, company deciding not to publish six, I think, books by Dr. Seuss. And they're pretending that, like, the Democratic majority took over, filed a bill to do that, and then, like, that's, so I would just start with that, like, okay, none of this has to do with anything that the government does, like, is it, so I would just say to somebody, if they brought it up, like, do you think it's a little suspicious that they're wanting to focus only on things that they have literally zero control over, and that were not done in the place where they work? Like, perhaps that's because their ideas for the place where they work, Congress, or any part of government, aren't that good. So they don't want to talk about those. They want to talk about things over which they have absolutely zero control. Yeah. And it seems like they're pairing this paradoxically with the argument that we're not canceling Cuomo fast enough. And so, you know, I'm a little confused as to what they want us to do. You know, my standard continues to be one of like consistency, which is, you know, with Cuomo, because I know people will wonder, you know, I love to talk about New York. And so I feel like it's important to mention this. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of smoke there needs to be an investigation, uh, both on the nursing home front and on his improprieties. And if it's determined that he did some of the things that it seems like he might have, uh, then he should be removed from office, just like anybody of any party should be. And, and I think we should be consistent on that. And I, and I think that you're going to see uh, tons of actors in New York move pretty quickly on that. Um, and I'll, I will be proud if and when they do that. I think the point of which being like, that's a place where this whole conversation actually crosses over with governing, uh, which brings us back to the thing that I don't think that the folks at CPAC want to talk about because they're they're pretending it doesn't exist, which is COVID. So it's a good way to transition into the into the COVID news and stimulus update. Yeah, so there's good COVID news. Now, we're not disingenuous. Not all good COVID news is a result of Joe Biden being president, but there are some things that he's doing that are definitely improving our chances of getting ahead of this virus. Uh, most notably... He announced this week that by May or potentially by the end of May, there will be enough vaccine in circulation for every adult to get a vaccine. Now, there are going to be issues of implementation, which we uh, as a country need to get ahead of. But that's huge news. That was paired with the news that Johnson & Johnson was given emergency authorization for its vaccine and that the president brokered a deal between Merck and Johnson & Johnson, which if you're, if you're not, if it's not obvious, these are competitors who are going to be working together, Merck manufacturing Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. The president also announced he's invoking the Defense Authorization Act to ensure that Merck has the supplies that they need. Basically, they're just showing a ton of urgency to make sure that everybody gets what they need. They're showing ownership, which is what we've been starving for over the past year. Um, and they're doing it at a time when cases are down 20%, deaths are down 10%, and hospitalizations are down 30% over the past 14 days. So we're heading in the right direction. They're increasing supply, they're showing leadership, they're showing urgency, and we're moving forward with a stimulus bill uh, at the same time so that we get the economic relief in conjunction with the public health re relief that we need. Jason, what does this say about Biden as president? It's really interesting because he's not dominating the news. Like, I think he's doing what he promised he would do, which is he's getting up every day and thinking about how to beat the virus. I mean, that, that, that I think is what he's spending all his time on. 
it is really interesting to be able to kind of check out from it a little bit. And to when there's big news to notice it. I mean, if I really thought about it, I could probably come up with something, but I can't tell you like a quote from Biden since he took office, you know, other than maybe like in the inaugural in the inaugural address. Like, and that's good because like at any given point during the Trump presidency, I could have quoted you some dumbass tweet that he had sent out like within 48 hours. So that's nice. On the other hand, it does kind of make you wonder, is he not that this is the most important thing, but is he going to get credit for all of the great things that his administration is doing? And so I think what they're doing is putting faith in the idea that you do the right thing, you do a good job and people will reward you for it. But nonetheless, like at the end of the day, like clearly progress is being made. I mean, they're just really focused on it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk more later about some of the misinformation about Biden. But I think like the easiest thing to do for all of us who are just exhausted by the conversations around who deserves credit and like, you know, what Trump is doing, what Biden's doing, what's quote unquote Biden's America is to say the proof's in the pudding. Let's wait and see how Biden does. You know, we're, we're still in the first hundred days and I'm fairly confident this is going to be a successful administration and the trends are in our favor. He appears to be showing really strong leadership that he and his team appear to be very focused uh, on the right things. They're about to pass a historic piece of legislation. And um, right before we sat down to to record this podcast, it looks like they they secured a deal with the, the quote unquote moderate senators um, to tailor the stimulus checks to uh, people, individuals who make $80,000 a year or uh, households that make one hundred sixty. So it just looks like this, the stimulus is, is moving forward uh, minus one important piece, which is this minimum wage piece. Uh, the Senate parliamentarian uh, ruled that minimum wage, the minimum wage increase could not be included in this reconciliation process. And if this sounds like a lot of jargon to you, it's because it is. And the only reason why this is even relevant is because uh, we have the filibuster. Jason, what do you make of this minimum wage debate? What should Democrats do about it? Look, it's hard to understand, frankly, like for me, it's hard to figure out what is right and what is not because you keep hearing different things about the Senate rules. And I don't I don't know the answer, right? Like, I don't know if it's correct that they can just take what the parliamentarian says under advisement and say, no, we're going to do it anyway. If that's the case, honestly, yeah, I think that's what they should do. But if what they're thinking is that that's going to cause them to lose, you know, that 50th vote that they need... Well, then I get it, man. The most important thing that you could possibly do right now is pass COVID relief. And, you know, I don't even need to finish that sentence. There's no question. That's the most important. I don't need to justify why. It's obviously the most important thing. So do that and then come back. And every damn thing we're going to do until we have a filibuster is going to happen in reconciliation. So we're going to have more bites at this apple. Uh, I want to see the minimum wage go up. I want to see it go up to 15. But if that's not going to happen, like, come on, let's just get moving. Let's do COVID and then we'll have that fight tomorrow. So I understand that. Yeah. And people seem to to understandably not, not get this. The Senate parliamentarian is interpreting the Senate's rules. You can change the Senate rules with a majority. So it's the same group of people who are preserving the filibuster are the people who would have to overrule the Senate parliamentarian. They're not going to do that. Um, and so it comes back to the same old problem which is that we have a few senators who don't want to get rid of the filibuster. Your beautiful rendition of Seuss gets to this point, which is we have a, a bill that 
will get a majority of senators when you include Vice President Harris to support uh, an overhaul of our election system. It will pass if there wasn't a filibuster. And time is running out because Republicans across the country are pushing some really nasty restrictions on voting rights. They're also using their redistricting powers in the state legislatures to make it even harder to have competitive elections in this country. We just need to keep fighting, even though it's an uphill battle over the next two years. Yeah, it's super frustrating to not have things happen after you win an election and you know that they're the right things, right? And which is why, like, somebody today tweeted at me, is anything positive happening? <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm not saying like, hey, you should just be grateful for what's happening and be and settle for it. But what I am saying is, yeah, obviously, a lot more positive things need to happen. But you can do both. Like you can do all the positive things you're capable of doing right now and celebrate that you're doing those things and be totally dissatisfied with those positive things. So like my response was, yeah, COVID relief, vaccinations, baseball, and also they're producing season two of Ted Lasso right now. Like all sorts of positive things are happening, but that it doesn't mean that it's enough positive things. It doesn't mean that, you know, the For the People Act uh, is is positioned to pass until the filibuster is gone. It doesn't mean that background checks and minimum wage and all. No, but we're still getting good things done. We should keep getting good things done while being deeply dissatisfied about what's getting done. In about two weeks, I'm going to be returning from this few month long trip I've had to Costa Rica. And Jason, I've been sleeping well at night knowing that my stuff back home is safe. You want to know why? I think that I do know why, Robbie. I'm pretty sure it's because you have a Simply Safe home security system. Am I right about that? That's right, Jason. I knew it. It's important to know that I knew that Simply Safe was not just like a bouncer who lived at your house or the name of your incredible guard dog. It is the Simply Safe home security system, which is easy to customize for your home. You just go to simplysafe.com/majority54. You can easily choose the exact sensors that you need or you can get help from one of their experts. It'll get to your house in about a week, which means by this time next week, you and your whole family can go to bed knowing that your home is being guarded. And Simply Safe is a small, easy step to make sure everyone feels safe at home. Go to simplysafe.com slash majority54 today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. That's spelled S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E. Just go to simplysafe.com slash majority54. Unlike certain prominent U.S. senators, I would never lead my, my dog at home while I go to a tropical location. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I think we should put that in. Jason, I'm coming home in two weeks because I need my athletic greens. I've officially run out now, and I'm just, I'm sluggish without it. It's like my Popeye's spinach, Jason. Um, I really can't function without it. I actually have a little bit of travel coming up for my day job at Veterans Community Project, but I'm going to be the guy who they will enjoy making fun of because I will have my little travel packs of athletic greens that I will put into my little water bottles. But you know what? I'm also going to be the guy with the most energy and the one who has all those good nutrients flowing through the system in a way that is good for my body. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months. They're offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit our link today. You'll basically 
never have to buy this vitamin D again. So whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com majority and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com majority and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. In this week in misinformation, we're going to stick with CPAC, uh, and I apologize to our listeners, but you know we want to we want to keep tabs on on the uh, the not so loyal opposition here. All right, so quick funny CPAC story. So I was in line at Costco checking out, and I'm like scrolling Twitter, and every once in a while I'll click on one of the little videos that comes up for a second, and I see this guy uh, Josh Mandel from Ohio, the former state treasurer, and he's on there and he's doing his thing he does now where he pretends he has like a southern accent and he's talking about how trumpy he is and he's he's trumpy mctrump trump and trump this and trump that and i was thinking i haven't thought about josh mandel in so many years and i started thinking about the way that i i knew of josh mandel in the first place i i knew that he had run against sherrod brown and lost and then i get elected secretary of state in 2012 and in 2013 i take office and he calls me and he's like hey uh, we're both young Jewish combat veterans uh, with with a kid. You know, we're both dads and we're from the Midwest. You're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. He's like, we're both big moderates. We should have like a TV show on cable where we go on and we show how moderates in the Midwest solve problems. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Um, but I'm I'm not a moderate. And he's like, oh, all right. So that was kind of the end of it. You know, he was very nice and everything, but that was kind of the end of it. And so I remembered that and thought it was funny. So I tweeted it out. And by the time I'm like to my car at Costco, I get a call from a reporter at like, I think the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And then like an hour later, there's like a whole article about <laughs> Josh Mandel used to like see himself as a moderate. And uh, I don't know, I just thought that was a funny little Costco adventure for me. I mean, it does get to a larger point, which is this faux populism uh, on the right. You know, Josh Hawley is a great example. There was some other guy, I forget his name, that you had tweeted about today, who's like a Princeton grad who went to the Harvard Kennedy School, but who was like talking about how um, the Fox News guy, um, who was like, oh. Oh, uh, Hegseth? Yeah. Yeah, that guy was great. What did he say? He goes, he was like, Real Americans, when we sit down and real Americans, my, my we talk about the 10th amendment or something, right? We sit yeah, around we talk and about talk the 10th amendment and the Bible. And, and, and I thought, man, your friends sound lame. Like I mean, my liberal friends and I talk about like sports. I looked up this, this guy after you tweeted that. And I was like, oh, we sit around and we read the Bible. Why does this guy's name sound familiar? I looked it up and I, I remember, oh, this is the guy who cheated on his wife and impregnated another host at Fox News. This is the guy who sits around re- talking about the Bible all day. I mean, I could I could see where he's motivated to do so now. Yeah, he know? has a lot to learn, I guess. He has to catch up. Um, and so the former president, Donald Trump, uh, made his first public appearance since leaving office. And uh, of course, that you know long Fidel Castro-esque speech was filled with lies. There just simply isn't enough time to mention all the lies. Some of them are, you know, Trump said Biden didn't mention canceling Keystone XL before he got elected, which, of course, he did. Uh, the campaign mentioned it multiple times. 
he used this sort of they won't let you do X, but they'll let you do Y stuff, which seems to be a familiar refrain from Republicans. He says, your family still can't go out to eat at local restaurants, but Joe Biden is bringing thousands upon thousands of refugees from all over the world, people we don't know anything about, and they don't we don't have the records, which is, of course, a lie to Department of Homeland Security, FBI, et cetera, all part of the screening process. Like, of course, we have a strong vetting process for refugees. Uh, we're just trying to bring it back to humane levels because they were at record lows during Trump's presidency. This is, whether it's cancel culture or talking about refugees, it is all about, like, let's go back to our greatest hits, right? And this greatest hit is, let's go back to the time when people thought we were better on national security, right? That's what all the, and it's it's obviously, it's also xenophobia and bigotry and racism. Um, but it, it's like, let's make people feel like they're unsafe from international terrorism, you know, international terrorists coming here and attacking us. And I was thinking about this, like, we have this constant fight going on about whether we're going to actually worry at all about domestic terrorism and, and, and white supremacist militias, or whether we're just going to keep pretending that it's like 2002. And, you know, I, I saw this article today about a school board election, I think it was in Ankeny, Iowa, which is a, a suburb of Des Moines, where there was a pipe bomb that was left at the polling place. Like, it's important for people to understand that when they are saying, no, we've got to crack down on, on foreign terrorists coming here. Well, you're, you're saying like, that's the greatest threat when from a national security perspective, like I'm much, much, much more concerned right now about domestic terrorism. I mean, like they're trying to bomb polling places. Not just you, the director of the FBI said it's a huge threat this week. Um, and he, 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 that the FBI then named it as a specific threat with a date, uh, in March. Exactly. Yeah. So my, my point is like their misdirection, misinformation thing is not just about confusing us to win elections, not just about disenfranchising people to try and you know take away the vote. It's quite literally about focusing on the wrong things to win an election, but also to horribly weaken national security. Right. You know, and one thing I, I'd like to bring up to some of my friends who like to talk about this national security issue is that this president that you support in Trump was peddling a conspiracy theory that bin Laden is still alive and that there's a whole conspiracy amongst the, the Navy SEALs who killed him. You know, that's the kind of stuff that Mr. National Security has been up to. You know, there's so many lies. There, like, there's this whole China thing that's very popular amongst the right. I, I urge listeners to, to go down the rabbit hole if you hear a lot about this. Basically, Trump imposed tariffs on China, which are you could agree or disagree with them, but he's making claims that somehow China was paying up and that consumers benefited where any study you look at, including from the Federal Reserve, says that China just basically passed those costs on to consumers. So whether you support or don't the tariffs, it was consumers who were paying more for these goods. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm exhausting myself with all of these things, Jason. It's probably less ideal to fact check. All of these people know how to find the fact checking sites. But um, how in general should people deal with the just barrage of lies? This was an hour and a half, I think, speech of filled with lies. And, you know, obviously he wasn't the only person who spoke. So to me, this is all an extension of what they tried to do in order to beat Joe Biden in the election. And it, it didn't work. It, you know, wasn't it was probably their best argument, but it didn't work. And that argument was, you know, that Joe Biden is now like extreme, that he's you know, and the way they do it is they've tried to do it as he's been captured by the left, right? And so therefore, he's this avatar for the extreme left. 
because understandably, you know, rather than run against, you know, the, the strongest and, and most widely held views of your, of your adversary, you would, you would prefer to run against the more minority views of your adversary. And the thing is, when people say like, you know, look at how far Biden has gone left, like now he's for $15 minimum wage. And now, you know, I think he said like he would study reparations and all that stuff. If it were me and I were having that conversation, I'd say, yeah, you know who else like has gone further left? Like me. And, and look, here's why. So instead of debating somebody about whether or not Biden is like kowtowing to, to the left or whether he's genuine in it, what I would say is, look, personally, if you've been paying attention, I just don't see how you haven't become more progressive over the last several years. And I would just talk about things like, you know, how CEO pay, like in the Fortune 500, has gone massively out of control as compared to the average worker's pay, how, you know, the minimum wage doesn't pay for anything anymore, how you, you can't get through college, it seems, without massive debt. So yeah, like if fixing those problems means that you're farther left, uh, then yeah, I would say like, I'm farther left too. I'm not sure why you're not. And then what I would do is I would point out to them that they've moved left because probably your friend is like on, on cultural issues, right? Like particularly if they're our age, if they're, if they're millennials, you know, and you say, well, look, are, do you feel like our, our gay friend, like if you have a mutual gay friend, do you feel like they shouldn't be allowed to marry who, who they love? And because views on that have changed so much, they're probably going to be like, well, no, come on. I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not like that. And you say, yeah, cause you've moved to the left. The whole country's moved to the left. It, that's literally why it's called progress. It's why it's the progressive movement. It's, it's just moving forward. So my whole answer on that stuff is like, yeah, you know, he's been in the, doing this for almost 50 years and he's gotten progressively more progressive as are most people. Like that's how you're supposed to grow up. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things that I, I find myself doing when I see this barrage of lies is trying to rank them in terms of their the threat they pose to society. And I would say that the, <laughs> the biggest and potentially the most threatening of the lies is that continues to be that this election was stolen. Now, people may be forgiven in thinking that we're that this problem is behind us. But this is the, the, the lie, the big lie that the election was stolen is the rallying cry that Republicans are using to pass legislation around the country to disenfranchise voters. Jason, I know we've covered this a little bit, but this is, this is your corner. This is what you've spent a big chunk of your life thinking about. What in the hell should we be doing about this? Well, this is why HR1 is so important. It's why the For the People Act is so important. People listening have to forgive me if they've heard this this riff before, but democracy is not permanent. Like it's not a thing that you just get to count on. And it's I mean, if we if we learn nothing else from the Trump years, it, it should be that institutions are only as good as the people who are in charge of them. And, you know, all these state governments, like if they get rid of democracy essentially, well that that works its way up the funnel. And then you end up with people who aren't for democracy. You know, when Diana was on the pod a while back, she made a great point. Like coming from the Soviet Union as a child, she never assumes everyone is in favor of democracy. That's not the case. So, you know, HR1 is incredibly important. Getting super involved in your local elections, for your state legislative elections, showing up and demonstrating the fact that you actually care about voting rights as an issue. That's the biggest thing that's changed. And frankly, I'm really proud of the small part I played in in that, that that now voting rights is a real issue. Like when we started Let America Vote in 2017, people were like, you can't you can't talk about voting rights and think you're gonna win elections. And now it's right at the center of our of our debate. Now, sadly, a lot of that is because it's been under uh, you know complete assault that entire time and that's put it at the forefront of people's attention. 
But there have to be political consequences for voter suppression. If if people can commit voter suppression and then still win elections, because the only place where there's going to be a consequence is in a court of law and not at the ballot box, then they will just keep doing it. So you have to go out and find ways to beat them. I don't care what issue you use. If they are the lead people suppressing the vote in your state, you you vote them out of office. You do everything you can to do it, or you vote people who they rely on. If they're in a district that's not beatable, then pick somebody who they really need to get their stuff done and vote them out of office so that they understand that there's a consequence because it's the only thing these folks understand. Quarantine Corner. Jason, what's going on in your world this week? Uh, so I just started reading uh, this book, which I am late to. Uh, that's a theme on the show when we bring up popular culture stuff. Uh, it seems to be like we're a couple years late to it, but it's this book called The Art of Fielding. And it's uh, it won a bunch of awards and somebody recommended it to me. And it, it's, I just started, but it, it's a book about a kid who starts playing college baseball. But I think along the way, and I haven't gotten this far yet, but he like discovers literature and like, it's just a coming of age tale. But so far, it's just one of those books that you read it as, you know, one writer to another, like you'll understand, like, it's one of those things where you read it and go, God, why am I even doing this? Like this, this guy's writing is incredible. Yeah. So you're breaking the the rule that I, I gave a few weeks ago, which is to only read bad writers because it inspires you because then you're like, oh, if they can sell books, then I can, I can sell books too. Well, what happened is, is I finished my first draft and I turned it in and I was like, okay, now I can go read something. And I'm like, God, this is so good. Well, congrats anyway. on re on finishing your first draft. That Thank you. That is a huge milestone. And uh, well, I broke my rule too. I, I read a book that um, is incredibly well written. Uh, I reread it actually. It's this book called King Leopold's Ghosts. It is an unbelievable book. It's really sad. Uh, and it's about King Leopold, who is this Belgian king who was responsible for a ton of atrocities uh, in the Congo in the late 1800s and early 1900s. It's all about the rubber trade, trade of ivory, and just the tremendous amount of suffering that went on uh, because of that imperialism and, and basically the birth of the modern corporation in many ways. Like I, I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about corporations because like the British East India Company and stuff like that were dominant in my family history uh, and because like my family is involved in kind of pushing out the British in India and fought against like these precursors to the corporations that we see today. And it seems like there was a similar story in the Congo, except it, it seems like way more violent and even sadder, uh, but it's a really well-written book. It's a part of history that's not told enough. And if you don't have the time to read the book, there is a documentary, I think by the same name narrated by Don Cheadle. That's, that's really good. Is this the book that you've been underlining passages of on Instagram? No, although that is, I will repeat that one because I'm now, it's a, that one's a big book. It's called These Truths uh, by oh, Joe right. Lepore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'm about halfway through that one. That's a big one. And I, I'm only more enthusiastic about that book. That's a comprehensive history of America. And it is, I, A plus doesn't even begin to describe how amazing that book is. So for Grab an Oar, uh, I saw this great video that Dolly Parton did this week where she was getting the vaccine and she uh, changed the lyrics to, I think it was to Jolene. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then that's a bit too late. <laughs> and it's just fantastic. And it just made me think about you know, how we always close this show, you know, we all have a platform 
and you got to use yours. And the thing is, like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on social media, like if you will go ahead when you get the vaccine, and we all know now that thanks to the work uh, of the Biden administration, of all the other people working in that field, um, that it's going to be not that long before most of the people listening to this are going to have an opportunity to get the vaccine. There are people out there who are doubters. Like I, I know some of them uh, personally, and I know people who have said things that are harder to argue with about vaccine denial, where they'll say things like, look, I, I'm just, it's like an iPhone. I'm going to wait for the 2.0, you know? And like, I argue back with them and I talk about how important it is to get it. But that is understandably like less insane than like, no, it's a government pot and they're putting a chip in me. So for all those people who need to see that people in their circle are doing this, my grab and or is just as soon as you have a chance to get the vaccine, like take a picture of it, put it on social media and make sure everybody, you know, uh, sees that you're doing it and that you're excited to get it, because I, I think that's really important. Yeah. And I, I could be wrong about this, but I, I read today that trust in the vaccine is going up now. It's not going up dramatically, but it is going up better than it than it going down. Uh, and so every little bit counts. So you may have noticed uh, that we have not uh, done as many voicemails in the last few weeks, and we are making a conscious effort to get back into doing that. So it could be one of your voicemails. So if you're hearing stuff out there, you got some crazy you want us to deal with. Hey, that's that's what we're here for. So leave us a voicemail at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can find us on social media. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Now, Ravi is only in Costa Rica for like another, what, 10 days or something like that, Ravi? Let's see. Yeah, 13 days. Look. There's a limited time on this fantastic Costa Rica content. Uh, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the surfing. You don't want to miss, uh, you know what, you go see for yourself. So you can do this at, at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. And then our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music's provided by Kemet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. This is such good content. I can't believe Grace won't let you talk about it on air. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.